All right, stand for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I believe this is week 3 in Romans 9, and we will be here camped out for a few more weeks. So for using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 945. And for context, I'll begin in verse 13. Romans 9, 13 through 20. As it is written... Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? But what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Praise God for His holy word. Please be seated. So just by way of reminder, in Romans 9, in Romans 9, we are underneath the banner that reads, God's promise to Israel has not failed. God's promise to Israel has not failed. And within this banner, we find a flag that is being waved by the Apostle Paul that is saying, unconditional election unconditional election. Perhaps you're here this morning and you understand unconditional election. But the question is, can you defend unconditional election from the Holy Scriptures? So many students, adults, professors, and pastors debate election, and we as God's children need to know what we believe and why we believe what we do concerning this important topic. You may be saying, well, why is this important for me to know? If God has breathed out His holy word, then He wants you to know it. We cannot say that this doctrine is not important because election teaches us about who God is. I'll say that again. Election is important because it teaches us about who God is. The theology that Paul is laying out here prepares for us what is to come in Romans 9. Specifically, when Blake preaches next week on some highly important verses, he is laying down the foundation, the trail, the path, brick by brick, and he's about to get to something that you need to know. And so today's sermon is extremely important. Because what he is laying out prepares us for God says, I have made one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use. If we were to enter into a conversation with the average evangelical churchgoer and ask them, do you believe that God is sovereign? Mostly everybody would say yes. If you question further, and you say that, do you believe that God is sovereign over salvation? The majority would say no. 
That's a problem. Like most men and women who have studied election, I have not always been on the right biblical side. I have been on the wrong side because of my personal, personal and selfish views. But once you enter into a study of who God is, when you put time, energy, and work into Romans 9 as if someone was paying you to do this, looking at the Greek words, looking at the Old Testament references, the only biblical conclusion is that God is sovereign over all things, including salvation. God's sovereignty is not limited by your free will. God's sovereignty is not limited by man's free will. Man's free will is limited by God's sovereignty. We are created beings. The Lord is our creator. Look at it this way. The Bible teaches total depravity. If you don't think that we're totally depraved, I would highly question your salvation. But the Bible teaches that we are fully depraved and wicked. This is undeniable. We were conceived in sin. We were born sinners, separated from a holy God. To put it plainly, all are born spiritually dead. All are born haters of God. All are born unable to choose God. There's two verses in the Bible that would be worth memorizing. I would say Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then after you memorize it, I would spend time meditating on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then I would begin to study what those specific words in those two verses mean. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. And so you ask yourself, well, what is grace and what is faith? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Faith is defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. One is not saved by choosing God. Spiritually dead people do not make spiritual or godly decisions ever. It is by grace that one is saved through faith. Grace and faith, they are both a gift from God. They are not a result of human works. One is not saved because they make a right decision. One is not saved because they walk the aisle and they have said a prayer. One is not saved because they do good or God is pleased with them. One is saved if and only if God wills them to be saved. If you do not agree with unconditional election right now, today's verses will be very, very hard for you. So I'm glad you're here. Paul's words here will lead you down a difficult trail. You will struggle, but it's a good struggle. In 2005, these verses were a major struggle in my life. But I beg of you, do not close your Bible. Do not ignore it. Dive in deep. Travel the hard road. Study the Word of God for yourself. My final conclusions of embracing unconditional election, it was not the result of other men's sermons, other men's writings, other men's books, but of the study of God's Word alone. Because I was surrounded in my life with men on every side, men and women on every side, 
men that was pouring into this saying, I'm against this, men pouring into this saying, I am for this. And I said, okay, I'm going to get out a Bible, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to look at this, I'm going to look at God's Word alone. This is what I want you to do. So let's look at today's verses in context, because if we take it out of context, we can form this to mean whatever we want it to mean. So look at Romans 9, verses 6 through 13. In a quick summary of 6 through 13, Paul has declared, not all Israel is Israel, not all are children of Abraham, there are children of the flesh, and there are children of promise. God said, Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau. And then verse 13, we close with last week, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So God rejected Esau. God passed over Esau, leaving Esau in his sin, not extending redemptive love to Esau. And this rejection was true before Esau was born. So the Lord grants repentance and faith to some, and others He leaves in their sin. So keep Romans 9, verse 11, concerning Jacob and Esau, in the front of your eyes as we continue today. Though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. So whether it's Jacob and Esau in the discussion, you and someone else, God's purpose of election is done. God calls in God alone. A soul is saved because God wills that soul and calls that soul to be saved. Romans 9, 14 and 15. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So Paul declares who God is in his purpose of election. And in doing so, Paul looks ahead and answers some questions before they come from his audience. Question one, is there injustice on God's part? If salvation is a gift of God, if salvation is fully dependent upon the Lord, and man is completely passive when it comes to salvation, is there injustice on God's part? It's a great question. Since God chose Jacob, and God did not choose Esau, and God chose them before they were born, and neither one had done good, or neither one had done bad, is there injustice on God's part in the purpose of election? Is it fair that God passed over Esau? Is there injustice in God for choosing Jacob and not choosing Esau? Answer, by no means. God forbid. And I think the best translation here is, may it never be. Don't even ask that question. The simple answer is no. Is there injustice on God's part? No, not at all. There is no injustice. There is no unrighteousness with God. Paul answers their objections before they come, and he turns to the words of the Lord in the Old Testament to answer their questions. There is no injustice on God's part. Romans 9, verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
So Paul quotes here Exodus 33, verse 19. The context here is also important. The Lord was speaking to Moses. The context is that Moses has asked to see the Lord's glory, and the Lord responded. If you're in Sunday school, Matt beat me to the punch. Exodus 33, verse 19. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So Moses, he wants to see the glory of the Lord and the Lord responds by telling him, you will see my backside as well as these words. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. So Yahweh is building up who he is to Moses. In Exodus 3, Moses asks the Lord, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? So the Lord responded with these words in Exodus 3, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So the Lord Yahweh is declaring, I am God, I am who I am. And then in Exodus 33, the Lord is informing Moses, I am God, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Now, this is beautiful. You have to remember, the Bible is not about you, the Bible is not about me, the Bible is about the Lord. It is about who He is, about what He is doing, it's about what He will do. And that's hard for us because we wake up and we're naturally selfish. Paul is quoting the Lord here from Exodus to communicate the truth that the Lord will elect individuals based upon His sovereign choice. He is the Lord and there is no other. So the Lord's grace and mercy is extended based upon God His mercy and grace is not extended based upon what man does. The Lord will be gracious to whom He wills, and He will have mercy on whom He wills. So God determines who receives mercy. He is who He is. Romans 9, verse 16. As if it wasn't enough to hear what Paul has already said, he brings on another level here. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. We have greater clarity here. The word it in this verse is highly important. So then, it, what is it? It depends on human will. What is it? It's God's purpose of election. Is it God has mercy on whom He wills? God's election is not based upon human will or exertion. You know what this means? You'll never have a human being, whether a child that is four or an individual who is 99, and they're going to wake up and say, you know what, today seems like a good day for salvation. They're never going to wake up out of bed by their own work, by their own effort, and say, you know what? Today's a good day. Now why is that? Because God is sovereign over all things. If somebody wakes up and they want to follow the Lord, 
It's because God has awoken them to follow Him. He is who He is. The word it in this verse is God's purpose of election. It's not based upon human will or exertion. Mercy is not based upon the man or woman who wills or determines to be saved. Mercy is not based upon the man or the woman who runs or puts forth effort. I love this. The longer you walk with the Lord and you see this in Scripture, the more you walk away and you're like, Lord, I want to praise you all the more because it had nothing to do with me. So the conclusion is, if one is saved, the reason is not them. The reason is not you. The reason is not me. The reason is outside of us. And that reason is God. It is all God. If you are saved, your salvation is not because you willed it. It's not because you pulled up the bootstraps on your boots and you put it on and it's like, I am now saved. No, the reason is outside of you. You did nothing. As we talked about earlier in Romans, it's like when you and I come to the table of salvation, we come bringing nothing to it. If you are saved, your salvation is not because you willed it or you worked for it. Your salvation is there because God had mercy. Mercy is God brings help. God has compassion to the wretched sinner. I love the words of R.C. Sproul here. He said, do we have free will? He says, we have the ability to choose what we want to be. That is true freedom. But it is always and everywhere limited by God's sovereignty. Anytime man's free will bumps up against God's free will, who wins? It's no contest. It is God's good pleasure to save His elect that He may show forth His grace in salvation. So we are free to do only what God allows us to do. It is God who determines every step, not us. We are told this over and over throughout God's Word. You may want to write these down. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So men and women make plans, they make schedules, but it is the Lord who establishes what actually occurs. The longer you live, the longer you understand this. For all of us in this room right now, you have made plans, you have made schedules, you have thought what, where you wanted to be, what you wanted to do, how this was going to go, and you look back and you're like, this was not my plan. Amy and I plan to have two children. We have three. We also didn't plan to lose two. And there's other things in our life that we did not plan and did not wish for and did not hope for. And it was not part of our plan, but we can make our plans. God establishes every step. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist. You are a vapor 
that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The Puritans, the Reformers, they used to say, we're going to do this, and they would always follow it up with, if the Lord wills. Same is true for us. We will do something only if the Lord wills. We are not autonomous creatures in anything. We have always been dependent upon the Lord. In everything, we the creatures are fully dependent upon our Creator, and the Creator is the Lord. In Luke 12, Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. And I don't want you to think about this parable as if this individual is completely foolish and Jesus is telling the story. I actually want you to think about this story as Jesus is telling this story. And I want you to ask the question, and am I the fool? He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all the grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Man's free will is limited by God's sovereignty. Going back to Romans 9, verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. It depends on God who has mercy. So whether it's the steps that you and I take every day, whether it's Saul becoming Paul, whether it's the apostles planning to go to a certain town but being prevented, not able to do so by the Holy Spirit, whether it's you and I getting in our car and making it home today, whether it's us waking up in the morning, whether it's having one more opportunity to talk to a loved one, One more opportunity to talk to a friend or a neighbor about Jesus Christ. Maybe it's one more just phrase of telling your spouse, I love you. We need to remember the words, if the Lord wills. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. He is the Lord. He is the I am who I am. He is the one who said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Paul's words here in Romans are stressing the importance of knowing who God is and not coming to God with our own opinions. If we come to God with our own opinions of who He is because we rip out John 3.16 out of context and we approach the Lord, we have created a God who does not exist. They were stressing here who God is and our great dependence upon the Lord for all things. And let us remember this, 
our dependence upon the Lord for all things is not to be used as a justification for laziness. You will find it very difficult to open up God's Word, even to look at history, how God's children have been faithful to Him year after year after year, and to see Christians who just sit and do nothing and wait for Christ to return. We are passive in salvation, but we are not to be passive in sanctification and holy living. We're to be men and women who depend upon the Lord. We're to be men and women who trust Him, who seek Him, who pray to Him, and women who love and keep His good commands. We're to make wise and godly decisions as His children, and we make plans. We are to enjoy God. We are to enjoy creation. We are to work hard. Goodness gracious, this is being lost, not just among families and husbands and wives, but among the church. We are to be people who work hard. Some of us will labor for a paycheck, but we won't labor for the one who redeemed us. We're to work hard, knowing that we will only do what He allows us to do if the Lord wills. He is completely sovereign, and this includes salvation. He will save whom He wills to be saved. He is sovereign over all things, or He is not God, and I don't want anything to do with Him. If He is limited by man's choice, He is not the Lord. Romans 9, verse 17, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So Paul brings up another Old Testament passage and figure here, and that is Pharaoh. But for this purpose I have raised you up. So God allowed Pharaoh to remain for one reason, his own power, that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The Lord is about His glory. And He is about His glory all the time. Even when it comes to salvation of souls, the Lord is about His glory. So God here raised up Pharaoh and brought Pharaoh to power. And He did this for a purpose. So that others would see not Pharaoh's power, but the Lord's own power. So John MacArthur said of this verse, Pharaoh thought his position and actions were his own free choice to accomplish his own purposes. But in reality, he was there to serve God's purposes. Now, let's go back to the parable just for a second that Jesus told about the the rich young fool. In the telling of that parable, that man was gaining all the wealth, doing everything that he was. He was doing it for himself. It was all about him. He says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He was rich toward himself. He was not rich to the Lord. And the Lord used these words, you fool, I demand your soul this very night. Pharaoh thought his position was all about him. For him, it looked like it was free will, But to the Lord, the Lord was saying, Lord, I am doing this because I'm going to show my power through you. 
God is sovereign and He is doing what His will is to do. God is perfect in His essence as well as perfect in all that He does. Even though things may not seem what they should be, even though you may not like who the President of the United States is, even though you may not be content with all the things that are happening right now in this world, have you stopped to consider that God is doing His perfect will? His purpose of raising Pharaoh up was to show his power. Maybe the purpose for doing anything and people being elected and for countries going to war is for the purpose that God's people would seek him and say that there is no hope in anything else. His purpose for allowing Pharaoh to remain was so that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. What if we actually took this into real life and said maybe all the heartache, all the evil, all the the sickness that is going around, maybe we would take this and say maybe it's so God's people would rise up and proclaim Him in all the earth. So in whatever the situation is, whatever we don't understand, the suffering that seems to never end in your life, in my life, the trials, the pain, the tears, the Lord has His perfect purpose in it all, and it's His glory. Romans 9, verse 18, So then He has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. So the Lord has mercy on whoever He wills, He is God, He knows best, and He makes the decisions. I'm okay with that. The reason at our core that many of us are not okay with this is because we want to make the decisions. The Lord has mercy on whom He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. I told you earlier, this trail gets harder. Moses received mercy. Pharaoh received God's judgment. The Lord hardens whomever He wills. Hardens here. That means to treat harshly, to make something hard, or to make someone stubborn. The Lord does not need permission to do this. Why? Because He's Lord and you're not. The Lord does not make someone more wicked. They are already wicked. He just gives them over to what they want. And sometimes he removes his restraints completely. We saw that in Romans chapter 1. And he gives them over to their desires. The words in Romans 1, in which Paul has already covered to these individuals, is that God gave them up. If we flash forward a little bit to Romans 11, verses 6 and 7, we find this. But if it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So concerning Pharaoh, we find that God hardened his heart and Pharaoh also hardened his own heart. When left alone, one always hardens their heart towards God. For no one seeks him. Romans 3 verse 11. There's so many songs, there's so many articles, there's so many books in this culture. Even in our own vocabulary, sometimes we can stumble and say, this person, they're they're one step closer to God. No, they're not. No one seeks for God. Not one. When left alone, they will always have a hardened heart. 
They were haters of God. In the book of Exodus, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So listen to this. Three times the Lord declares, I will harden his heart. I will harden his heart. I will harden his heart. Six times the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Seven times in the language, the hardening is expressed as the Lord as the subject. Meaning, here is Pharaoh, and here is the Lord. I'm hardening it. I'm doing this. This is me. And three times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So the Lord has mercy on whom He wills, and He hardens whom He wills. So look at Romans 9, verse 19. Paul now addresses another question that he sees his audience asking. Which, if we're honest, we ask the same question. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? So question two is, why does God still find fault for who can resist the will of God? In other words, if God is just, if God has mercy on whom he wills, he hardens whom he wills, how does God still find fault? That seems so unfair. How can a just and good God blame them for their unbelief if He is sovereign over salvation and His grace is irresistible? This is where many struggle and fight for a long time and they're still fighting it today. How can God find fault if this is true? And I love how Paul answers this question and he doesn't give you the answer that you and I really want to hear. Romans 9 verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? When I read these words, I think of the Lord speaking to Job. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to come before the Lord and to cry out and to ask Him things. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying here is Paul the Apostle answers the question by saying, I understand that you have these questions, but let's turn the table just for a second. Instead of you asking God, God, why is this fair? God is turning the table and God is looking at you and this is what God is saying. Who are you? Remember what the Lord said to Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding that God is the creator and the molder of all things. God's creation. Us. The molded. We have no right to look back at God the molder and question Him. He is God. We are not. Paul's simple answer is who are you? Why does God find fault if this is all true? Who are you? God does not owe us salvation. We're sinners who have fallen short. Stay here for a while and just camp out. God doesn't owe you salvation. Here in the United States, we think we are deserved everything. And we even look back at God and say, God, you owe me this, you owe me this, you owe me this. No, He doesn't. The only thing that you deserve is judgment. God does not owe us salvation, and He does not 
does not owe us an explanation of His will. As hard as this is on this subject, if you've lost loved ones, if you've lost family members, sometimes you want an explanation. God doesn't owe you an explanation. Look at it this way. If they've been born again, God called that person home. They're home already. God does not owe us salvation, and He does not owe us an explanation of His will. Think of it this way. Mercy is not inside the realm of God's justice. Mercy is outside the realm of God's justice. So you have justice. If we want justice from God, then you need to erase mercy because it's not there. Mercy is defined as not getting what you deserve. God saving anyone is mercy. It's not that they deserved it. God saving anyone is mercy because all deserve hell. All deserve God's wrath. God not saving someone, that is not injustice, it's justice. So anytime that you and I have looked back at the Lord and say, well, Lord, why haven't you saved my child? Lord, why haven't you saved my spouse? He's not being unjust. He's giving them justice for the time being. If you are saved, He's given you mercy. You didn't deserve salvation. God's not saving someone is not injustice. It's justice. Some get God's grace. They don't deserve it, while others get justice. They're getting what they deserve. We don't question this, because who are we? This is what Paul is saying. Who are you? And you're not God. God doesn't owe us an explanation for what He does. Salvation is unconditional. It's not conditional. It's not like we've woken up and we've said, but God, I've done this and this and this. I deserve salvation. No, it's unconditional. You don't deserve salvation. You can work your whole life and you don't deserve it. Salvation is unconditional. Salvation is not, I do this and I get this. It is God who awakens and God who saves a soul. This truth should encourage all of us. And this is where you camp out in Romans 9 and you cherish it. Like, this truth should overwhelm us. Why? If you are saved in this room, you were not good enough to be saved. So if it occurred at 7, 70, 11, you were never good enough for God to save you. If you're not saved, and you know who you are, you could be the worst of all sinners like Saul, and the Lord could save you. There is not a soul on this earth who is outside the reaching arm of God's grace. Where we would say, oh, this person, they're out of reach. Hitler, he's out of reach. These people, they, can't, they cannot be saved. Let's just put them out of their misery. No, there's not a single person on this earth who's out of the reach of God. Not one. God can save whom He wills, when He wills it, no matter how wretched they are. You could be like Saul, traveling on a road to kill Christians, and he could save you. The Word of God saves sinners. 
He could take the gospel and bring it to your mind and you could repent and believe and, have a cha- and you could be a changed man or woman. As we are faithful to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the Lord will save whom He wills. And this is where we as Christians need to get to work. We share the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is not Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's a summary of the law of God. The gospel is that Jesus came from heaven to earth born of a virgin. That God came out of heaven to earth. He put on flesh. He lived a perfect and sinless life. That Jesus declared himself to be God, was God. He taught the good news of Jesus Christ. He called all to repent. He called all to believe in the good news of Christ. And they killed him for it. He came for the Jew first and the Greek And the Jews killed him. They nailed him to a cross. But he didn't stay dead. Three times he said, I will rise. He rose on the third day. He came up out of that grave. He appeared to many. For the next 40 days, he taught them. He taught them. He taught them. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came, and you have the church. And the church is moving forward, sharing the good news of Christ. And they're supposed to go forward and say, Jesus Christ is God. There is hope for you. Repent of your sins and put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ, and Christ alone for your salvation, for there is no other hope. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Christ. And we are to be faithful proclaimers of that good news. We don't just come here on Sunday and worship the God of good news and then walk away and do nothing with it. We declare that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one confesses and believes. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The Bible teaches us, God teaches us that he is sovereign over all things, including salvation. I'll give you a prime example right now for me, the pastor. If God saves a person, it's not because of anything that I did. It's not because I said something right and I deserve people to praise me. If God saves a person, is that he used a fool like me to share the good news, and through the sharing of the good news, he awakened you. God gets all the praise. He gets all the glory. But understand this, in God's sovereignty, he has called you and he has commanded you as his child to go out and to share the good news that saves. So think of all your lost souls that are in your life. A child, a spouse, a neighbor. Who are they? A classmate? A close friend? Maybe it's someone you've just never heard their salvation story. Share the good news of Christ with them. 
Proclaim that Jesus is God. Share the good news of Christ with them. Call them to repent and to believe in Christ. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign over all things. God will either use that situation to harden their heart even more, or God will use that situation to bring them to Him. That's how the Lord works. So answering the question that Paul has posed, there is no injustice on God's part. God will have mercy on whom He wills, and He will harden whomever He wills. God's sovereignty is not limited by man's free will. Man's free will is always limited when it bumps up to God's sovereignty. And the words of Joel Beek, I think it summarized extremely well, we should believe the doctrine of God's sovereign predestination on the testimony of Holy Scripture. You're not believing it because I preached it. You're not believing it because I read a bunch of books. You believe the doctrine of sovereign predestination on the testimony of Scripture alone because we're not the Catholic Church. We're not the Roman Catholic Church that says authority lies with the Pope and the authority lies with the Church and the authority lies with the Scripture. We're sola scriptura here. We're saying the Scripture alone, the authority alone is where we go. We go to the Word of God. So we are to believe this because God has said it and that ends it. And if we have a problem with sovereign predestination, I know that you might be struggling with it, and I know it may be hard and difficult, and you may get upset. I want you to remember these three words. Who are you? Who are you? Think of Job. Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? I love those words because it puts me back in my place and reminds me of being a little child coming before the Father and sitting down and He's towering over me and I'm just reminded, who am I? I I don't even deserve to be here. You're God, I'm not. Like, you have you've brought me into your family. You have redeemed me. You have, you have paid for me. You've done it all. I didn't do anything. And I'm coming before the Lord, and I'm being reminded of who am I. And if we're saved this morning, let us be thankful that our great God, that He has mercy. He has mercy on sinners, and it's through the proclamation of the gospel that sinners are saved. There is no injustice on God's part. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, forgive us for ignoring Romans 9, for not studying Romans 9 and and boggling down in it and just squeezing it and wrenching it of all that you have given us in your word. Forgive us for coming to you with our own thoughts when those thoughts are not based upon truth. Salvation is all of you. All that you are doing is all you. May we seek you in prayer. May we seek you in the reading of your word. May we seek you in obeying your commands. 
May we remember that there is no injustice, there is no unrighteousness in you. May we remember that we do not deserve salvation. Who are we while you are God? Thank you for Christ. Thank you for sending him to save sinners. You did not have to, and we did not deserve it. It's in his wonderful and glorious name we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.